listening to you and listeners. Welcome to have a discussion with two two journalists, two stalwart journalists from the Caribbean in our region. And that's going to be our show tonight on this week in interview. Well, we already have a late start and I don't want to keep our guests waiting too long. So let me do what we always do at the beginning of the show. Let me play the CARICOM anthem. And while we while that is played, I'm going to get in touch with our guests and we'll be right back. So welcome to this weekend interview and we'll, we'll be right back. Just listen to the beautiful Mikkel Henderson as she does the CARICOM anthem. Distant lands, our forefathers came. Some seeking adventure, some bound in chains. Through battles waged and fought, through victory and pain, by test of their courage, our freedom was gained. The heroes of lands in the sun We vow to join hands and to focus On building one Caribbean Raise your voices high Sing of your Caribbean pride Sing it loud and strong Feel our hearts beat as anthem a little short tonight because as you said we're getting a little bit of a late start um, but we're here and, it, and it's Wednesday night and we are willing to sit and have this discussion tonight our, our topic is the Caribbean and in particular the Caribbean in the era of, of Trump and um, not just Trump but in the sense that how his policies as he's been in office so far uh, will could affect the, the Caribbean. And we're having this discussion with two journalists, two regional journalists. Uh, they have their, their fingers on the pulse of the Caribbean and what is going on currently in the region. They, 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 they don't um, just exist and, and, and exa- examine one country. 
We have Jerry. Jerry's been with us before, and Jerry is based in, in St. Vincent. But in fact, the last time he was on, we were talking about happenings and development that was going on in Dominica. Along with, with, with this, uh, um, Jerry Judge, we have Ms. Beverly St. Clair. Beverly is a seasoned journalist who is based in Grenada. And so before we go any much further, let me just jump to our guests. Let's give them a warm welcome. And Jerry, welcome back to this weekend interview. It's a delight to have you back on. But for those who didn't, who missed you the last time, can you do a brief intro and good night to our guests? Well, it's good to be welcome back because at least you know you passed the first test. So I mean, when you don't get to welcome back, you know, you know things were bad. <laughs> but I'm Jerry Josh, producer uh, of the the host of the the show time to face the facts in fact beverly is the producer of the show and uh, but i've had a lot of experience both in radio in newspapers and the television and i've been around the region my my scope has always been to look at what is happening in the region and see how we could point people in the right direction no certainly and of course you passed it as the first time we got i got so much feedback um from the last time a lot of person says you know that's one of the most informative shows that you've had and, uh, wow. Yeah, and, and I'm not just saying that, I'm, I'm serious. And, and, and mm. I, I knew for sure. Because even while, while you were having the show, I, I, you know, I, I was really impressed with the amount of detail and, 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 um, and the confidence with which, um, you were handling, handling the topic. Well, <laughs> folks, we, we have a special treat tonight. We have a young lady, um, Ms. Beverly St. Clair. It's your first time on this weekend interview. It certainly is not going to be your last. Um, so, Beverly, welcome to this weekend interview and introduce yourself to the TDN um, audience. Thank you very much for inviting me on this program. Always happy to share whatever is happening with the Caribbean, with the wider diaspora and the wider Caribbean for sure. I have been involved in the media for many years. I like the way you say young lady. But I have been, I'm from Jamaica. I'm living in Grenada for the past 15 years almost. And it is a very interesting confluence of cultures, Northern Caribbean and the Eastern Caribbean, way down in the Southern Caribbean. It makes a, a, a very interesting perspective on what is happening and the various different things that we see coming out of similar events, similar activities, but the different impacts from the North and the South, it is so interesting. And as you said, the topic is the impact of the Trump administration on the Caribbean those perspectives are very, very different from the North and the South and East of the Caribbean. So I'm happy to share those perspectives with you and your audience this evening. Oh, dear, that, that's interesting. And one of the things um, that my my listeners um, to the show will tell you is that every week I, I make a big deal about the, the requirement for uh, the Caribbean to go forward as one nation. And, and, and when I say one nation, I am speaking, uh, from, from Jamaica, you know, all the way down, Trinidad, even Guyana. Uh, you know, but, but 
seriously, I, I, I think that as individual countries, we, we, we stand, we, we stand to face some very tough headwinds if we continue to go forward as one nation. So, so, um, it, it's always a pleasure to have persons who have the perspective. Um, from a Jamaican experience, uh, because as you said, it, it's a very different experience um, that Jamaica has, say, to a Caribbean, to a Dominica or, or a Saint Vincent experience. So, so we definitely welcome the perspective that you are going to be able to share, um, being experienced in both areas. But let, let's jump right in to one of the first topics that I want to introduce. Uh, in terms of climate change and and how the the policies and the practices of the Donald Trump administration and then I, I guess when we start talking about it, we talking about from globalization in that sense but but more specifically um, the impact of of on of climate change on on the small islands this is the Caribbean for for the bigger islands like Jamaica. Um, Beverly, I'm going, to want to, I'm going to let you go first. Ladies first. Ladies first. Well, And tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of the, the impact of climate change and how you see us like in the next four, maybe eight years, if, if um, we look on the horizon and, and the impact of the American policy you have on us? I probably have a kind of a different kind of view on climate change. The earth is round and it's always spinning. Nothing is happening now which hasn't happened before and nothing is happening now which will not happen again. So I believe that this period of what we are calling climate change that we are going through, which is being documented, it's not something which is unique to this generation or to this age. We've been through an ice age. We've been through floods. We've been through many different types of changes in climate and in weather patterns over the years. And that will continue. What has happened in this generation is that a lot of emphasis has been put on climate change and a lot of money has been put into various different projects to deal with climate change. Small states have taken front and center stage. We've seen so many different conferences where so many different targets are set. We've seen so many different accords. We've seen agreements being signed and a lot of activity seemingly around the climate change. At the ground level, how much of that has really rolled out and had and has had any real impact on what people do, that remains to be measured and documented as well. So my view on climate change is that it, it's, it's, not, it's not an event. It's just something which we live with every single day from the beginning of time until now, and we'll continue to live with it. Funding for climate change, I can't remember except for HIV AIDS if we've ever seen so much money dumped into one area internationally, from Germany to the United States to other countries, many people have come up with billions of dollars to put into climate change. 
And now we can see that the United States, which has been one of the major funders for climate change activities, resilience and various different types of changing cultures in agriculture, in fishing, in building, in so many areas where funding is needed. But we've seen the United States now uttering, making utterances under this new president that, look, we are going to be cutting some money to these to these projects. And it is going to impact on the region in many areas. For, num- for one, climate change agencies that have been set up have provided jobs for a lot of people. These jobs are going to disappear if there are no, if there is no money to sustain them. The agencies themselves will disappear if there is no money to fund them. And these are possibly the two most visible areas that we are going to see the impact when the funding is actually cut. Right now, for this year, maybe for next year, as far as climate change is concerned, you will not see any major change in how things are operating for the simple reason that the agencies that manage climate change activities would have already had their money to spend for this year and many of them for next year as well. So that money is already in place. So we're looking at probably two years down the road before you actually see any impact of funding being withdrawn from the region for climate change activities. Okay, interesting um, perspective. So I'm going to go jump right over to you, Jerry. And um, what exactly do you see uh, maybe opportunities, what you see are the, the challenges that, that the whole area of climate change poses for us as, as Caribbean um, nations? The, the focus of climate change has been placed on fossil fuel. The fact that um, the world has been literally powered by fossil fuels, which has put all of these emissions into the atmosphere. And this is what is being blamed um, for the cause of the climate change. The deals that they're setting out is for countries and companies and everybody to begin to cut back on the emissions, the fossil fuel emissions into the atmosphere. And the scientists are telling us that if that is done, we will be able to make a dent in the climate change that is taking place at the moment. So what is interesting about that is that that was the view up until Obama. Part of President Bush's um, election campaign was to reopen the coal mines. And now coal is one of the dirtiest forms of energy you can find. And it is clear that if the coal mines are reopened, that we're going to have, if not a perpetuation of the of the dirty energy, we'll have it increased again. Because um, if one knows what happens when coal is born and not born properly, we have the question of fog and smog and all these kinds of stuff. Now, how does that translate? The reality is in, in the Caribbean, these small islands really do not produce the kinds of emissions that can really have any impact on the world's climate uh, reality. Check number one. You have a small place like St. Vincent or Grenada, even Dominica. Um, Dominica, the, larger, the largest island, but with one of the smallest population. The whole question of 
our contribution to this change in climate that that we are being told is is minuscule. Okay, so you have these new setups where countries can get carbon tariffs. So if you present certain projects, these bigger countries that produce the emissions will fund, will give you money simply because your share of the world is cleaner and the idea is to encourage you to keep it clean. Are you with me? Yes, uh-huh. So, right. So that is where the money is. Now, climate change in the Caribbean, one of the issues is that we are right in the path of hurricanes during the hurricane seasons. And, and therefore, we've had a tremendous amount of hit, a tremendous amount of devastation and, and dismantling of our development base, especially this time of the year, because hurricanes come through and almost inevitably in every, in any year, it will take out a particular country. Now, the IMF has spoken to this issue tremendous amount of times that so often when a country moves forward, you get these hurricanes that come and literally push back the development. Now, these hurricanes are being blamed on the fossil fuel and all of those things that I spoke of earlier, that these are causing increased numbers of hurricanes, increased intensity of hurricanes, um, even in increased duration of the, of the season. Uh, some of this obviously has to be tested. But what has happened is that these countries know that they have been promised this, these monies from climate change, and as Beverly said, a lot of money, have now been looking for this money to come into their budgets because by and large throughout the Caribbean, we are all in a state of budget deficits. In other words, these countries are spending more than we're earning. So the whole idea of lots of money coming from climate change Sweeten the pot for a lot of politicians. If this goes and, backwards. And if, and let me put a figure on that. In 2014, the amount of money put towards climate change was 62 billion. Yep. Billion. Un, United States dollars with a B. That, that's of globally. Course, that's globally. Right. Globally. Globally. So the Caribbean would have gotten a very, very good share of that. Well, that, that's, I'm going to, that's, that's my question though. Um, did the Caribbean really get a significant share of that portion? Were the governments in the Caribbean able to position themselves in, in such a way that they would, um, that they would in fact have gotten a, a, a significant portion of that pie? Do you think that they were, they did that, um, you know, effectively? <laughs> I don't think that the Caribbean has done anything. This is this is what has come out of the Paris Agreement, which looks at how the world is divided up, and we fall in a part of the world where we virtually have little or no emissions. And based on that, and based on our our position and our place, it is assumed that we are vulnerable, and so mm-hmm. certain monies have come in our direction. And as I said, it's based... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Right. And the money come to small states like ours, as Jerry said, for us to keep our states clean. Right. So you will find that a lot of the money is not spent in the countries 
that actually cause these emissions, which are mm-hmm. credited with the pollution that we're trying to get rid of. So here is $67 billion, but how much of it is spent in China to clean up the smog there? Mm-hmm. How much of it is spent in other areas that use so much fossil fuel to, to find alternative sources of energy with the kind of veracity which you see in the, which you see in the Caribbean, where, you know, we're looking to go wind, to go solar. How much of this energy is really concentrated in the countries that actually have these emissions that are so high? So even if we take that money, and spend it and create clean energy, our impact on climate change is still Zero. <laughs> negligible. Zero. <laughs> well, Zero. well, I, I, I do, I'll push back on that a little bit because um, we're islands, obviously, and by nature of being islands, we are, we are surrounded by the ocean, and we're surrounded by, we, we, we sit on the Atlantic Ocean, most of us. And um, therefore, <coughs> as, as you rightly said, we in the Caribbean tend to we stand to suffer the brunt of any adverse impact on climate change because of our, our populations are small. On the other hand, we we tend to think that um, our impact on climate change is is small. However, um, if we take the Caribbean region as a whole, and if the Caribbean what, for example, to identify climate change as as an area of priority, and and if we also take into account the impact of tourism on our economy, for so so many of the islands, tourism is is very close to being the main in, income earner. The main, main part of the economy is tourism, and so the impact of climate change on tourism is, is tremendous. So again, that makes us vulnerable. If we if we if we if we were to in, if we were to see that as making it critical, um, don't you think that? And I'm asking both of you guys. Um, if if we take the example of, I like to go back to Costa Rica. And I'm talking about anything eco or anything green. I go to the I, I go to Costa Rica, and that in, that in a sense is the point I'm trying to make. Costa Rica has been able to brand itself as the eco destination of the world. Don't, don't you think the Caribbean can, can look to Costa Rica and imitate some of that branding and therefore um, increase some of the benefit and, and not just for the sake of benefit but also some of the leadership that some of, some of the leadership implement some of the green programs, some of the green projects that can, that can impact the, the acceleration of climate change? I like, I like to, I, when I'm thinking through stuff, I like to think in terms, in illustrative and comparative fashion. And let us, let us go back to a strategy that we had, uh, for the last maybe 15 years or so. When Venezuela offered to these islands, uh, what must I call it? A facility where we paid, if, if we paid according to the price of oil. And a portion of that money, especially after it went to a certain place, was left with our countries for development. Now, one of the things that was anticipated was that our countries would put some of that money into renewable energies and into the complete restructuring of our energies. 
Have we done it? The answer is no. So, you see, talking about the branding of Costa Rica, if we were, if we're just going to be looking for branding simply because we have money available and it's not coming from internal, it's not our mindset, it's going to fail. The leadership in Costa Rica recognized the unique opportunity that we have, that they have, and they have exploited it. I think a country like Dominica, for example, and I've said this for years, the first time I went to Dominica, I said it, I went on air and I said it. Dominica is well positioned in terms of that whole health and ecotourism issue. To me, it's like better than any other of the Caribbean countries. But is the mindset there? And that's where the problem is. So bringing a lot of money and saying, okay, just let us look to Costa Rica and mimic Costa Rica is not going to solve our problem. Because fundamentally, we don't get the picture. If we didn't see hundreds of millions of dollars passed through these countries, every one of them, over the last 10, 15 years, out of the Petrocaric Fund, none of it practically exists today. Now, when you look at emissions around the world, according to the people who take the time to put these statistics together for us, the Caribbean region is not even measured in and of itself as far as emissions are concerned. The harmful emissions, 27% of it, which is the highest, comes from China. The United States follows with 17%, Russia 5%, India 5%, Japan 4%. Then you have other countries named with ranges from 4% to 1%. And then the Caribbean is lumped with the rest of the world, which emits 20% of the carbon dioxide, which they say is harmful. So you take out all of the large emitting countries and leave the rest of the world, and it's 20% spread across maybe 100 countries. And that is why we can say that the impact on climate change from the Caribbean is minimal. But the impact on us, because we are small states, can be quite significant. I think it's Ronald Sanders who said that it would possibly be money better spent if we relocate the people in the Caribbean yes. rather than try to mm-hmm. build up sustainability in the Caribbean. It's cheaper to pack up 4,000 people from Montserrat and move them somewhere rather than try to, to build some kind of resilience around that island to protect it. So, so it's a, it's a matter of what makes better sense financially, economically. And you wonder about the decision makers in these kind of situations. What is your objective? What are you looking to achieve? You'll never have enough money to be able to protect 23 islands in the, in the Eastern Caribbean from a hurricane when it hits. The devastation, if that hurricane hits Two or three of these islands. The, the, the devastation runs into billions of dollars. You hold you to pay state now. <laughs> exactly so. With one event. So, so it, it comes back to is climate change money being properly spent? Yeah. What kind of results are you getting from this? Billions of dollars. I think the target for 2020 was something like a hundred billion dollars for climate change. What is it achieving, really? And 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 I I agree that 
whatever we do is supposed to be part of a strategic plan. Now, before, I think it was in 2000, no, yeah, I had done I had done a, a study with the Ministry of um, Agriculture in Dominica that, that engaged me to to do the Dominica version of the there was a, there was a program that was going on where they were in, um, estimating the impact of climate change on small island developing states. It was a seed project, and I, I had gotten to do the the Dominica part of it. And um, sea level rise and, and the impact of hurricanes and flooding, associated flooding and all that, were, 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 I was identified as some of the major threats. What the reason I am bringing that up is because we we here now at least almost twenty years later, and you, Beverly, in the opening statement, talked about resilience. What I see is that in Dominica, for example, whereas before we would have a small hurricane, if, it's, if the for, if wind forces were not very high, we would have a rain event, people would go home from work, the streets would get blocked with some debris, and they would clear that the next day, and life would continue. In 2015 and 2016, I even hear the Prime Minister say, it, nowadays we have a tropical trough. And uh, it causes it causes devastation, and and when I hear that, I'm saying, but he's the prime minister. Why is he saying that when you know he he is the leader of the country? It just says that the country has become more vulnerable. To is that well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, let me let, let let me come in there. Let me come in there because you see, I, I, and I want it balanced on this, okay, as much as possible. And I'll say this here, and I'll say it anywhere. A lot of Dominica's last problems with Ericon stuff was bad infrastructure buildings. And management. Plain and simple. When you look at some of what happened, the engineering was was past poor. We'll put it in a nicer way by saying past poor. But And the so, same could have been set off Grenada and Hurricane Ivan. Exactly. So we, we, we want to use these as justification to the world that things are getting worse. No, we need to, we need to understand where we live. We need to apply better engineering practices. We need to apply better management practices in our space because when we put down a house, right? Or we put down a bridge, we can't afford to replace it. Okay. So, but we cut corners. All right. I mean, when I saw some of the damage and I know Dominica very well. When I saw some of the damage from Erica and where they happen and how they happen, they cannot all be attributed. Plus, the other thing that we have been doing, we have been building in watershed areas, putting buildings. So the water has to find a different way. And when it does, what happens? It amplifies the damage. So we so have to look. Mm. Yeah. So it's not a climate change problem. No. It's, a, it's a problem of planning. It's mm-hmm. a problem of awarding contracts. It's a problem of inferior material. Exactly. And it, it becomes a political problem, it's not a, political a climate problem. change problem. And, and you know, there are, there are studies that, that is in the possession of the government of Dominica that identified Petit Savan 
mm-hmm. where all of this devastation mm-hmm. took place. And it also exactly. identified Good Hope as the other village. That was City Seven should not have been developed. It should not have well, been. Well, they, they had the opportunity to relocate it, but but try to relocate people is a politically unpopular activity, and therefore it was. But whoever said that it, leadership and, and, is a popular popularity game, and and therefore it wasn't <laughs> done. And, and, and that's, that's what I say to people is that when we look at the Caribbean, we talk about bad management. It is literally life and death that we're talking about. It's not just mm-hmm. that we have a government in place and they didn't develop the country mm-hmm. and we put them out. No. The decisions that the that the leaders make can actually and does actually result in people losing their life. Precisely. Of course. Precisely. Absolutely. And so before we leave before we leave climate change, um because we have to move on to some of the other topics. Uh what I what I'm hearing from the discussion that we have is that even with all the money that we've spent and all the hours that we've sat in seminars and workshops and developing plans, and we know in the Caribbean we're very good at developing papers and plans <laughs> and so on. Oh, yes. Still lacking a cohesive and a relevant um, strategic plan, both in terms of making us more resilient that would mitigate the impact, as well as um, a strategy that could let us look at what the world is doing in terms of climate change and taking advantage of some of those opportunities. So, so briefly, uh, before we leave, um, jo- jo- um, Jerry, just some final words on climate change and as uh, Beverly, you afterwards, and then we're going to move on to the next topic. Climate change is what it is, okay? But I don't feel that we should place all the emphasis and focus on what is happening out there. We need to, unless we could get all the monies that we want in the world, okay? If we're not going to properly plan our own infrastructure, we could get millions of dollars and we'll get square one in the next 10, 15 years. Plain, straight, simple. We need to take some responsibility for ourselves and to do things differently if we are going to be in any way, shape or form beneficiary of all that is happening out there. Climate change, like so many other things in the region, is not approached cohesively by our, and I say, so-called leaders. It is still a matter of we're going to we're going to Paris, we're going to Copenhagen, we're going everywhere as individual states, mm-hmm. trying to see how much of the pie we can get for ourselves. And even though CARICOM had set up some climate change committee, we still have not come together as a region to approach climate change in any in, in any cohesive manner. So there is no regional plan, there is no forward looking and forward structure in even in, in somebody's mind to say this is how we're gonna go forward as a region from Jamaica down to Trinidad and Tobago down to Guyana. This is how we're going to go work together as a region to deal with this initiative. So as long as we keep fighting for our share of the money to keep our jobs and to keep whatever we want to do in our own countries, we'll never be dealing with climate change in a, in a sustainable way, mm-hmm. even though we're talking sustainability. Right. And... and, and... I mean, we could, we could continue talking about climate change um, for all night because I, I, for one, I describe myself as a tree hogger. I'm, 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 I'm one of those people that have issues with people cutting down a single tree. 
But I want to know. Oh, you thought you like me. <laughs> you know, things and, and extremely mm. passionate about things environmental. And um, mm. the Caribbean, looking at what is done in the Caribbean, um, causes me no end in the amount of pain uh, that I feel. But I want to move on to another aspect that's just as important that I think that we're doing, that we're performing even worse than our performance in climate change, and is the area of health. But um, if we're talking in terms of um, trying to make it relevant to the Trump administration, uh, we let's link it to, to Planned Parenthood. And the reason I say health is because uh, as a Caribbean person, I am familiar with the impact that Planned Parenthood has on, on, on the provision of quality health care and the, the role that Planned Parenthood plays in, in, in the you know, just in the health of, of our people. So, so Jerry, I'm going to let you go first this time. And, and mm-hmm. let's talk about um, Planned Parenthood is in trouble. I mean, as I put it mildly under the Trump administration, how do you see um, the attack on Planned Parenthood, the defunding of Planned Parenthood by the American administration? How, how is that going to affect us in the Caribbean? And how, how uh, should we be preparing ourselves for that? That, that is such a many-sided approach because what has happened with a lot of the Planned Parenthood programs over the last decade or so is that they, they have been shrunk into many instances, one little space with one or two persons. Uh, I don't know how effective they, I knew what used to happen. What happens today I am not quite sure of their effectiveness, but at least there is something there. At least there's a place that people can go and perhaps get some free condoms. There's a place that people can go and get some advice on, on various forms of, um, of, uh, uh what's this called again? Contraceptives and stuff. Yes. Um, there at least a, a couple of people there who a, a young lady or a young man find himself in difficulty who will be able to Speak to them. When you close that down completely, you know, you, you ask yourself, well, what's next? What, where are we going with this? What is going to happen um, ultimately at the end of the day? Why? I think President Trump has been playing to the, especially the southern portion of the United States, the Bible Belt area. And they have focused on abortion as being the thing. But in none of these Caribbean countries is abortion legal. So I don't quite understand the the reasoning behind what is happening. Beverly might better know. (laughs) Um, I don't know about planned parenthood being the focus, you know, Jerry, because I think President Trump has zeroed in on abortions. And that is where he is camping. Now, abortion is to me, and this is to me, abortion is not a form of family planning. That's, you can't, it's just not a form of family planning in my head. Abortion comes about for so many different reasons. You really can't put it in a box and say yes to abortion or no to abortion. There's just too many variables that I believe must have to be looked at on a case-by-case basis. I remember in Jamaica, back way back, 
they had this campaign, this family planning campaign called Two is Better. And it was a way of telling families have two children because two is better than too many. I remember that campaign like it was yesterday. It stuck. Even today, people sing that song, two is better than too many. Now, that was family planning. Mm-hmm. It worked, probably worked too well. <laughs> what was Planned involved in that campaign? Oh, it was, that was a campaign by the National Family Planning Board in Jamaica. It's, it was a campaign where you taught people how to use contraceptives properly, how to care for their children properly, show people the expenses of raising a child. And educa- it was an education campaign to let people know, look, Two is better than too many. <laughs> and it worked. You know, they, and if you know the creativity of Jamaican people, you would know how many cartoons and songs and plays and things came out of that Two is Better Than Too Many campaign. It is as fresh in the mind of people in Jamaica today as it was when it was launched. That is planned parenthood. What Donald Trump is doing is doing exactly what Jerry says, appealing to a certain constituent. We we are not going to be doing this no matter what the cost. So you cut funding for programs that are necessary. As we say in the Caribbean, you cut off your nose to spite your face. So, so, so you don't... So what does the, the, Cari- the Caribbean have to do to fill the void that... Um, fun, or, or, has Planned Parenthood diminished to such an extent that even if it goes out, we wouldn't miss it that much? Is that what Jerry was suggesting? Well, first of all, I don't know that abortion is legal no, anywhere I'm, I'm in the Caribbean. I'm not talking about I'm talking about Planned Parenthood. You see, but you see, this is where the disconnect comes in because the president's program is not about Planned Parenthood. It's about abortions. Right, but, but bear with me for a minute. I, I, I understand what you're saying. In, in that the the reason he's giving for defunding Planned Parenthood is abortion. Whether that is true right. or not, the impact is that Planned Parenthood is going to be defunded by from the federal government, which means that mm-hmm. there's going to be less money available for them to do the programs that they're doing in the region. So okay. when uh, the question I'm asking is that when that goes away, what do we see the impact is going to be on the health, especially the health of young women, to fill that void that's going to be left when if Planned Parenthood were to completely disappear from the Dominican, the Grenadian, the Grenadian let, me, let me speak to that. Mm-hmm. Let me speak to that because just last week I was speaking to one of my friends on one of the Grenadine Islands, and we had that exact conversation. I was saying to them, this, 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 she was saying to me, listen to me, Jerry, you know something, as I look back now, I don't see many of my peers and the younger people pregnant as, as in our day. Right? I don't see it. Um, and in fact, what is, hap- what is happening is that it is causing a reduction in the population on some of these islands. Okay? I said, are you sure? She said, I'm telling you. She said, I go, I teach, I'm a teacher, I teach at a school, I can tell you. You do not see that level anymore. Right. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what caused this? Is it in the general education, yeah. general education that people have come to recognize that it is not a smart way to go? 
So is it something that we can do for ourselves by teaching people? Listen to me. Um, if you go out there and you get, and plus what is happening today for a fact is that because we have economies in these, re, in this region, whereas I say to you, the majority of them are in deficit positions, mm-hmm. it is harder to find a job. Mm-hmm. So you will be crazy to, to, to go out there and have two, three children. And when she pointed that out to me, I said, but you know, I'm thinking far and I'm thinking you're right. So how do we pick pick up the pieces from here? What do you see? And this is one of the reasons I raised that campaign in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. This was not a campaign which was funded by external sources. There you go. This was, you see, this was a campaign which was a local campaign. So mm-hmm. there are things we can do for ourselves in the Caribbean, you know. But quite frankly, mm-hmm. we just love to beg. And yeah, we, we feel just, like every mm-hmm. single thing we want to do, we need to beg money to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All we need to do is get creative. Education is what is needed to get people to understand the necessity for family planning. Mm-hmm. It comes down to simple mathematics. If you cannot afford a child, don't have a child. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will not understand that straight up just like that. So you have to have a system where young people are educated about these things. Now, that will require some funding, yes, but it's not to the extent where we could not get creative and do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, we have a ministry. We, ha- we have a ministry of health, which gets money from the national budget, which money Money is put into so many different areas. All you have to do is look at how you can reconfigure some of the usage of that. Reconfigure some of the programs you already have to include this component so that you don't have to sit down and say you need a separate program to deal with Planned Parenthood. You already have several programs. Include it or reconfigure some of them that are not giving any results. Because we have a lot of these programs where we don't measure the outcome. We don't know what we're getting out of these programs. We just have them there. So, because we so, get money to spend them. To exactly. Spend them. So, so reconfigure some of these programs, channel the money into areas where it is needed, and take the same $100 and spend it in a different way to get a different result. I, I, so I'm, not, I am not shedding any tears for this money going. When you, when you said um, we are people who just love to beg, <laughs> that, that resonated in me because uh, one of the things that vexes me the most is when I hear people talk about, when you ask somebody a question or you have a discussion with somebody and they, there's nowhere else for them to back up to, they said, but you know we are a small country with limited resources. Because they hear the politicians, they hear the politicians repeat that ad infinitum on platforms oh, everywhere, every day. Ad nauseum is more like it. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the whole point. Uh, so many times, I remember when, um, when Roosevelt Skerritt first became prime minister and he delivered one of his first address. There's somebody that said to me, you know, this guy's something positive, you know. He 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 talking about going about going away and um and raising funds in terms of grants and loans in the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> and I paused and I said, Well, is that why you think he's great? Because he thinks that he can beg and successfully 
mm-hmm. better than the other person. And I was so disgusted with that conversation. Listen to me. Let me tell you something, Anthony. Um, a couple of years ago, that conversation raised its head in my hopes. And it was among my children, then in secondary school. And they said to me, Daddy, so we were talking because it was about campaign time. They said, Daddy, you know why people like the current prime minister as against the opposition leader? It's because they say he can beg better. <laughs> that flowed, listen to me, yeah. I would never forget the shock of that. But it's the truth because it is, it is exactly how it is presented to them. Let like me because I can go out there and beg better for you. Yep. Listen, yep. Let's, let's, that's just it. And in so and doing, let, me pause, is, let me take a pause and say it's nine o'clock, but I have asked our producer to allow us to go to nine thirty, um, mm-hmm. because we had a little bit of a late start. I hope I, I'm not overindulging my my privilege with, with, with you two guys, but I didn't think no, we could do justice to, to end the discussion right now. So we'll go to nine thirty, okay? Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, but um, now we're fine. We're fine with that. Oh, no problem. Right, mm-hmm. Let me. I'm sorry for interrupting you when you were saying. No, no, not at all. I was just adding on to that. In developing this kind of culture where you elect someone because they can beg, you also cultivating a culture of laziness and dependency and entitlement and also somebody owes me. Mm-hmm. And you create another whole set of social problems in the country that you have to go and beg money to deal with. Because when you create these kind of problems, you need more prison, you need more security officers, you need you need more you, you need more back end support to and deal those, with all the problems and, and, and that discuss. If you look at the Caribbean countries, those are the fruits that we are we are we are um, picking right now. That's like what mm-hmm. you describe right now is exactly the impression of what we see going on in the region. There's no creativity, no innovation. Um, of course, nope. you can get individual exceptions and examples as you go wrong, but but in general, not um, not many. I can tell you that one. So so in terms of 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 um, well, Planned Parenthood, we take it as one um, example, but in general, with the American um, government saying that we're going to put American first. It means that we go, there's going to be a lot of funding that's going to be sucked out of the pool that we can beg for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, when, when Beverly was, was talking, I, I, it brought me back to, to the impact of, um, of Zika and chikungunya, which is spread by mosquitoes. And I remember <laughs> as, uh, just as you remember the campaign, um, for, for family planning, I remember the campaign we used to have for, for mosquitoes. Um, and as a child, we, it almost became second nature. If you saw a, a can lying down somewhere, you would pick it up and see if it had holes. If we didn't have holes in the bottom of it, you would bore holes in the bottom of it and throw it away. Old tires were collected and they were filled with soil and made planters out of anything that could collect water that could, um, that would cause mosquitoes to breed was taken care of because of an education campaign. And then I, I watched to see what um, they were doing in terms of trying to, to mitigate the impact of chikungunya and Zika in the Caribbean. And, I, and, and, and it just we just lucky that it died a natural death. It didn't look like we had anything that, that could have stemmed the spread of that. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> but but time and time yeah. again, um, we see that lack of leadership um, manifests itself in areas that are very critical and in areas where we could have an impact. It doesn't take much to do a radio program. It doesn't take much to go into the schools and encourage the kids to do Listen to me. And, and that's Listen to me. The kind of leadership that we've had um, in recent time actually, in my mind, seem to thrive when these things happen. Mm-hmm. They put on some crocodile viewpoint in terms of it, you know. But you see, it gives them an opportunity to grandstand. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I do not believe that they really genuinely are concerned about fixing these problems. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I stand there. And you see, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not sure how many people are aware that in December last year, President Obama signed a bill to promote deeper engagement between the United States and the Caribbean. Very interesting. He signed this bill when he was on his way out of office and have someone like a Donald Trump coming in whose focus was obviously not going to be on the Caribbean when he takes office. But this bill was put in place. The legislation calls for the governments and regional institutions to look at a cohesive way for development in the Caribbean. <laughs> I laugh. When I think yes, about sir. it, I, when I think about it, I really laugh, you know, because the kind of, the, the kind of thinking, and I remember it now because of what we are discussing about this um, feeling of entitlement that our leaders create. The kind of leadership that you need in the region for this kind of engagement with the United States to work, I'm sorry, we don't have it. <laughs> we absolutely do not have it. See, it requires the governments of the region to come up with a clear plan for development and how the United States could support that development. So we are not there yet. And with this kind of leadership that we have in the region, we're not going to get there. <laughs> and I'm not even going to say we're not going to get there anytime soon. We're just not going to get there with Listen this kind of leadership that we have. It has become very obvious to me that the leadership we have in our region today do not want to do the hard work that is required to turn our countries around. That is why, for example, you have Dominica almost in a panic saying, oh, you have to let us do citizenship by investment because if we don't do this, we are going to die. We are going to die. That's the attitude that you are getting. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dominica has the best water, some of the, the most and best soil, are people who can use it and all the rest of it. But nobody has had a plan to put back those assets to work. Because it is easier to get a few million dollars by that yes. route of citizenship by a program. They do not want to do the hard work. And they do not want to end well. They don't talk about hard work because that is not politically popular. <laughs> I'm, I'm, laughing. Not... I'm laughing because not, not because it's funny, but when we so many times practically every time that we I have a, a conversation that deals with the Caribbean, on anything serious, it always comes back down to leadership. Mm-hmm. And but I also, must. I also believe that our leaders, our leaders, is a reflection of us. True. Oh, 
Well, they are. Absolutely. So, 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 so as a people, and um, maybe we, we, we going into a general discussion area. So before we go there, let me just dovetail into the last topic that I wanted to deal with specifically that um, in terms of the Trump um, policies is the question of deportations. Um, persons mm-hmm. from the Caribbean who have lost almost all their ties, who haven't been in the region for 30, 40 years, are suddenly finding themselves on a plane landing in a, in a place where they, ha- they don't know, they're strangers in that place. And some of them, some of them are, have learned some skills from America that we don't have the skills in the Caribbean to deal with. What is the impact that that you see those deportations uh, potentially having on our societies? Um, let's talk about that a little bit, and then we can dovetail back into the general discussion as to how, you know, what are some of the, the proposals and what we see as the, as the possible solutions for some of those dilemmas that we're facing. So I don't know if Beverly wants to take first, and um, you being Jamaican, um, but it's very interesting, you know, that Jamaica not at the top of the list with these Caribbean deportations this time around. Mm-hmm. Not there, not there yet. Guyana is actually at the top of the list with the deportations so far. So far, you know, Guyana, Haiti and then the rest of the Caribbean to a lesser extent. But the, the this new, <laughs> and it's not new, we have to understand that the United States has been deporting people from, from time immemorial. They had laws in the United States to deport people from as far back as 1882. Interestingly enough, those laws were created for the Chinese in particular. But eventually, over the years, these laws expanded and included more people until it's where it is today, where the president now says, if you're in the United States and you're not a citizen, and that means, and it doesn't even mean citizen by birth anymore. It means citizen by genealogy. Because even people born in the United States, but whose parents are not U.S. citizens, are being categorized in a different way. And that's a different story. But we are where we are today with the deportations. In March, Grenada got five. They actually came down on a chartered flight that also had deportees for several other countries, including Haiti. There were some for Santo Domingo, Trinidad, and no, there was one special plane for Guyana. Haiti, Santo Domingo, and Trinidad and Tobago, they all came down on the same flight with Grenada, but Grenada only got five. The countries, I don't know that any special preparation has been made for the deportees, certainly not here in Grenada. The law enforcement in Grenada says they have a system to monitor and track the deportees while they are here to ensure that, (laughs) I agree, to ensure that they don't get caught up in any criminal activity, I don't think that works. I don't know that there is any special kind of special kind of That requires money, you know. Yeah, it does. That requires money. And it requires more than all, it requires manpower. Well, that is what we're paying for the the, manpower money. Yeah, our little teeny 
security forces, Grenada security, Grenada entire police forces, maybe about 1,200, 1,300 officers. We can't do it. We cannot do it. With all the best intentions, we just cannot do it. And again, there was no system, no plan. Let's not even say system. There was no plan in place. The, the president of the United States, long before he became president, announced that he would be doing this. Did our governments take it seriously and say, hey, we have to put a plan in place so that we can deal with these deportees when they get here? Because they are criminal deportees. Although those that came to Grenada, the most serious crime they said was arson. Nobody came here for murder. I don't know what the other crimes were off the top of my head now, but most serious one they said was arson. But still, you have these people coming here who, as you rightly said, Anthony, they're strangers in their own country. They're strangers in the country of their heritage. I can't say in their own country. Some of them have never been here. Some of them left here at age two and three. Mm -hmm. Right. So they come back as strangers, strangers to their families. They have no friends. They have no community. They have no connection with this country that they are now forced to live in. That requires some kind of psychological assistance right there. That's the first thing. And we totally ignore mental health in this region so much that we don't even think of this as a mental problem that people are going to come here with. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's an easy mental adjustment to go to bed one night in the United States, wake up the next day in St. Vincent or in Grenada or in Jamaica, and to know that you're never, ever going to go back to the United States. It's not an easy thing to deal with mentally. And depending on the person's mental strength, that would be where the first problem begins. Exactly. And some of these people have families that some of them have children who are American children and they get deported. And so they're worrying about what's going on with their children in the U.S. And and just for just to clarify a little bit, the, the, the official um, stance is that they're rounding up criminals. But really and truly, a lot of people who are not criminals are getting swept up in the net. And if if you get caught by ICE, the Immigration and Custom Enforcement Agency, if you get caught up by ICE, they're not they're not going to release you because you don't have a criminal record. They're going to deport you if you're not legal in the country. The, the question of criminality comes in where people who have their green cards are getting deported. If you have your green card and you have um, some kind of crime, it doesn't have to be a crime of felony of some kind in your past, you're getting deported. Um, that, 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 is, that is where, if you, if, you, so if you have your green card, but you have that interaction with the law, you can get deported. But you can be the most law-abiding person, and you are not here as a documented person, and you get swept up. You, right, they, they because they're deporting you. So, so, so not all of them are criminals. I wanted to, I wanted to clarify that. Not all of them are criminals. Yeah, are criminals because this in, the, in this wave of this deportation, the statistics will show you that I think it's up to seventy-four percent of those being deported now that have criminal records. So, so, so the other twenty six percent have no criminal record. And and if you look at the wording that they have, is not that you were convicted of a crime. If they if you if they arrest you and charge you with a crime, 
you're eligible for deportation. So, and even if you have served time, some of those being deported as criminal deportees are people who have already served time right. yeah. for whatever crime they committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that, it's not so much, I mean, there are some criminal elements in there, and because of our population, if we get, if Grenada, for example, gets 25 people who deported, all they need is one serious criminal in there for it to have an impact on it. That's right. That's all you need. But but the mental health part of it and the preparation and and they're coming into an environment where unemployment is already high. Uh, And so if there's not a plan to to do some training, some basic assimilation, um, even those who are not criminals may find themselves in situations where um, they do, they're going doing things that are not legal to to be able to survive, survival. Yeah, and and a lot of them will be coming from situations where they were financially independent, even if living from paycheck to paycheck or job to job, they were able to sustain themselves in some kind of way. Now you come in a different kind of environment where the skills you have may probably not even be needed here, depending on what area of work you were employed in or you used to work in. So you have to come, you, you really have to re-educate yourself to adapt to life in Grenada or St. Vincent or wherever you're deported to after living in the United States for most of your adult life, as most of them have been. Because so far, I do not know of anyone deported who has been in the United States for maybe a two or three years. Most of them have been there all their adult life. Mm-hmm. It is, it is one of the things that I, I remember this matter distinctly. You know. I remember the first time I actually was, was returning to St. Vincent and in, it would have been the early 90s, it was the, not the early 90s. It was the end of the, the after 1995 for sure, I can't remember quite which date it was, which date it was. But I was returning to St. Vincent and they had one of these people on board. So I questioned what this was about, and I remember coming back and writing the story. And no kidding you, the papers sold off that day. So much so that the owner of the paper, that is how he called me to listen. You have to start to write for us, okay? Because I then realized the seriousness that we were dealing with. Here were these people who had learned skills in these in those countries, that if they came back into our community without anybody looking after them, we could be in trouble. And you'd be surprised how that thing just went off like a wildfire. The government never, as far as I'm concerned, did anything in any significant way to stand up and to speak up. And this, this is another of the times when you can't speak as St. Vincent, you can't speak as Grenada, you can't speak as Barbados. You have to present a united front. We never did. Mm-hmm. I remember this thinking these guys came, two guys came with this guy. He was all shackled. They, well, they took off the shackles while he was on the plane. Once they came, they put on the shackles. They took him down. They handed over the documents. And I was, I would never forget. I'm thinking, so if this man is a mass murderer, he's back in St. Vincent. And who knows what he's going to do? And I wrote the story in exactly that vein. And it just, it just lit a fire. I've never seen any serious approach to dealing with this issue. And we have and several of those people in our midst now. Eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, because 
the stream, the stream of the porties will continue. It's just that mm-hmm. what we see right now is just the initial trickle. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. the tip of the iceberg. You know, unfortunately, many of our Caribbean nationals are in the United States living illegally. Some of them for decades. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be sent back. Yep. They are going to be sent and, back. And there are implications you know, for that because some of these people with in and of themselves are not necessarily bad people, you know. They have, no. the, for example, what they're sending people home for is a misdemeanor. You know, some something that you Traffic can't really... And there's something like that. But these same people are hustlers. Some of these same people have come through jobs. They're part mm-hmm. of the remittances that make up the empty gap in our revenues. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're talking about a serious issue here. Now. Mm-hmm. It's sufficient of these people get sent back. It means that the families that they supported are now on the breadline. No, oh, yes. no, no, they become a dependent on the family that they were supporting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the family that they were supporting can't help them. Oh, no. They never learned how to help themselves. They know Precisely. No, no. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe that is, maybe that is the silver lining in this whole cloud, right? That when, when you cut somebody's, when you take away the golden spoon that somebody had, so to speak, they're forced now to go and fend for themselves and find a way to stay alive. Uh, and so maybe, maybe the Caribbean will get that shake up that it needs to, <laughs> so that we start demanding more, maybe more leaders will rise from among us. Because we keep, we keep running the Caribbean like it's a fat match, you know? <laughs> things, just, things just happen. Things just happen. You know, we did, let me tell you, I, when I was living in Dominica, I had the opportunity to attend seminars and workshops and that sort of thing. And I remember the first couple of them that I, the first few of them that I went to, I sat and I was so amazed at the amount of brain power that was in the room. Whether mm-hmm. it was a local activity or whether it was regional, because I, I attended a couple of them in, Trin, in um, Trinidad and Jamaica and St. Lucia. But even just on a Dominican level, you know, you, you bring people together and they discuss, and like when we did this, the impact on the small island states of climate change. So much brain power. People sit and people come up with this elaborate plan because they've, we've been educated and we've been trained. But when you stand back and you look at, you know, what has happened in, in any one of the island, what has happened mm-hmm. in that island in the last five years, you see no indication that the people that were running things had any kind of education or formal training. What it is about, what it is that we have to do to, to be able to, 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 to see that change where we, where it seems like we, we, things are being done in a strategic way, that we're achieving results that seem to be going along a particular path, following a particular plan. It will never happen as long as the, the predominance of the political party stays in vogue. What is happening today? People are not being chosen and put into position based on their competence, based on their merit. There's no meritocracy. Speak loudly for the... hmm? The ruling party in Grenada has a song. Every time I hear it, I cringe. When they're having their rallies and public meetings, this is the song they sing. You can count on me. I'm working for my party. Mm -hmm. 
faithful I will be. I will fight with all my might working for the NNP. Yeah, that's it. Right there. Yep. And that's that it. is the core of our problem right there. Right there. So you don't don't ever expect to get the best people in the no. job. Get the most loyal people Mm-mm. who will go in there and make a mess, but you have to look away that they're making a mess because they are loyal to you. They're loyal to the party. So I we had a situation one time when when somebody was pulled up in, in their department um in St. Vincent and the Prime Minister called the head of that department said, That is one of my general, you know. That's one of my general. Oh. The person had done oh. something very, very serious. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. one of my general. Yes, I leave him alone. Leave her alone. And mm-hmm. literally the head of the department had to back down. Hands off, right? <laughs> Hands off. Yeah. And this was a case, this was a case where the person had stolen serious amount of money. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, 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 I don't know if you guys know about this one where, um, when radio started saying it's alleged, right? It's alleged that the, the parliamentary person for the constituent, for one of the constituencies in Dominica brought three young men into his home and beat them, literally beat them up, because he thought that they had gone into his farm and stolen um, dashing, right? So, of course, he never got arrested. That, that's, that's not even, but, but the guys, you know, with advice and so on, they made the media, they, they looked like they were going to um, press charges and so on. A couple of weeks ago, the government did um, a housing project in that constituency where they built some houses and gave a few people in the village a house. Give them a house. You know? One of the guys who got beaten was one of the persons who received a house. He went on the pulpit and he says, all these years I've been voting for United Workers Party and they never gave me anything. But look, Mr. Skerritt gave me a house. And they say it's because Mr. So-and-so beat me. But I find he beat me too late. He should have beat me earlier so I could have got my house I saw that thing. (laughs) I saw that thing live. And I I was amazed. Uh But it just goes to show the level of what represents our community today. And you know what what is driving that? Laziness. Laziness, of course. That's what's the core of somebody with that thinking. If they are lazy, laziness and is. the entitlement mentality. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm mm-hmm. saying no consequences because the, the house wasn't built with this man private money to say, okay, no, I can, oh. I can settle this case out of court. I give you a house. Mm-hmm. Me alone. No, mm-hmm. the house was mm-hmm. with funds from the Dominican. That's house. right. And then no consequences. That's right. No, everybody just laugh at it like it was funny, and and, and that's where on. the problem is. Exactly People so. laugh at these things. And it's not funny. It's absolutely it's not, not fun. funny. I find that so disgusting. It isn't. It isn't. That is what is not funny. I find it disgusting. Mm-hmm. So it is. So how do we turn a corner on this in the last five minutes of the show? How do we turn a corner? How do we get better leaders? How do we? How how do we? Because I always say I'm living in Brooklyn right now. I want to come back to the Caribbean to live. Um, I, I I don't want it to be automatic that my grand do it for my children. Because my grandchildren should have the choice to be able to live in Dominica if they wanted to. Or any one of the other islands. They don't have to be forced mm-hmm. to move. 
um, you know, to 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 make a living. How do you turn the corner? What 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 is the light at the end of the tunnel? Let me tell you something. I'm convinced that one of the big problems that has developed across the region is that people who should have spoken up in the last two generations didn't for whatever reason. Some were, some were, or didn't speak up because they didn't think it was the Christian things to do. So if you were a major part of a church, for example, you shouldn't get involved in politics, you shouldn't speak, you should stay out of those things. And what it has created is a huge vacuum and a huge gap that has been filled by the wrong people. We need to continue to speak and to bring to people's attention these things. And it's only then, it's only then that people realize, wait, there is actually another way. And anytime we fail to give people that sense that there's another way, we've lost it. We're done. We have to work very, very hard. <clears throat> and when I say we, I'm referring to people like the three of us having this conversation right now, who have to keep educating people and keep chipping away at what has become the norms. Mm -hmm. We have to keep chipping away at these things and educating people so that we can begin to cultivate a new kind of leadership. Mm -hmm. People have lost their core values. They, they've literally lost their souls to party politics over the last two generations. Mm -hmm. And it has to be a change in the mindset, and this we know is not going to happen overnight. So we have to keep chipping away. We have to keep sending the message. We have to, we have to launch and sustain programs about leadership so that we teach people how to be leaders and in so doing, what kind of leadership they should demand from the people who stand up there and say, I will lead. This whole thing of these noisy political parties with the minions and the cabals that have taken over the Caribbean, it, it, it has not gotten us anywhere in 50 years and it will not get us anywhere in the next 50 years. So those of us who know better, we have to stand up, we have to take the heat, we have to do better, and we have to help to cultivate a generation of people that will be better so that we can really begin to, to see some 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 turnaround in this region and we can achieve our potential. Caribbean people are excelling everywhere except in the Caribbean. We need to change that. That, mm -hmm. is, that is such a note, a, a well said, you know, summary. Caribbean people are doing excellent everywhere except in the Caribbean. But as we come to a close, uh, let me say that I, I really and thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Um, Jerry, I'm going to let you go first and Beverly, you next. Tell the audience where they can listen to you to get what are your regular programs, what are your regular publications online or if they're in St. Vincent uh, or they might be familiar with you. Um, Beverly as well. So Jerry, go first. Tell the people where they can. Well, the <laughs> we work together. So one is as good as the other. Hmm. Um, the, the thing about it is that I want to speak to the, the people who are listening to us, who belong, who come, have come out of these parts and who live where you are living. Do not get too comfortable there. Do not forget the roots that you have here. Too often, I find what has happened to many people there, they get locked into the same party system. 
They are brought home because they're brought home easy to vote, but they do not have to live with the consequences of what they vote. And that is one of the big problems I have. So you come home on a nice time on a nice day and you vote because it suits you, because it's tough. You live in, in an environment and in a society and community like you do have a greater responsibility to the people back home because that kind of stuff is not done where you live. You should not encourage it back home. Let me tell them where you find us. We, uh, we produce programs, radio programs, television programs. On a Thursday evening at 8 o'clock, we're on Chime FM. That's GrenadaBroadcast.com. I want everybody to write it down, take note of it. That's our cross-Caribbean link up on a Thursday, Grenada 8 o'clock. GrenadaBroadcast.com. If you're in Grenada, it's Chime FM. Right. On the last Sunday each month at 8 o'clock, Jerry is on Time to Face the Facts. And that is on the Time to Face the Facts show Facebook page. If you're in the tri-state area, it's on Caribvision. I don't know what channel number it would be in your area, but that's the station, Caribvision. So if you have Caribvision, you can watch it on Caribvision at 8. If you don't have Caribvision, you log on to Time to Face the Facts show Facebook page and you'll get a live broadcast of Time to Face the Facts. That's the name of the program. This coming last Sunday, the 30th of April, we're going to be looking at 50 years of the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court. That should be an interesting discussion. Just, just this in the region. Right. So those are the two main areas where you can, where you can catch us. And you can catch Jerry on Facebook. Jerry is always on Facebook. Just look for Jerry George and he has a program called Early in the Morning. Look for the Early in the Morning page on Facebook and you can join Jerry on that program at around early in the morning. Around around 6.15 in the mornings, you can catch Jerry on, on early in the morning. Okay, awesome. So on the first night at 8 p.m., uh, a last Sunday of each month, time to face the facts. You say you try state areas on Caribbean? Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know, we have a relationship with Mapping where we, we broadcast all of Mapping local programming. Jerry, we probably need to talk to see how we can... Um, if we, okay. Uh, in addition to TDN Radio, we also have TDN TV. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe, I don't know, we could see if there could be some room for collaboration. Um, well, it's not, as I tell you already now, you're speaking to two of us here, it's not Jerry. Well, this, yeah, this, this, yeah, yeah. Is, this is going to be the configuration. Yeah, certainly. Um, but what I'm saying is that, that we have a television part to this um, broadcast, and we mm-hmm. we have we we have the ability to take mapping any program local programming and mapping and broadcast like we, pro- we broadcast the evening news every night at eight and at nine thirty p.m. from mapping in Dominica. So okay. I'm saying um, I'll put you. We probably have to have a discussion with my producer Sam. How you do that? You use, you use um, internet? Uh, yeah, actually we have a we have no, uh, we have a silver at mapping, but we'll talk about that off air. Um, okay. Let me, yeah, let's, 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 let me end the program and let me say I I, I this discussion is what I expected it to be. It was straightforward. It was candid. It was um, 
very, very informative and deep. We could have gone deeper, but it, it, was, it went deep. It went, it went below the surface more than we hear in the usual conversation. And that is what I like with, to do with this week in interviews, to give the audience some things that they know about and they hear about all the time, but to give it to them from a different perspective, maybe a little deeper. And I think we achieved that tonight. So I want to say thank you to, to Beverly and to Jerry. And um, mm-hmm. we look forward to doing this a little more regularly on this week in interview, um, where we can, you know, um, help to amplify your voices throughout our Caribbean community, because I think we can reach people and help you help them to motivate them to change. So thank you so much mm-hmm. for coming on the show, both you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Well, well, listeners, um, <laughs> I, I, let me apologize again for the late start. Uh, but sometimes that happens. And as, as I told you, um, our discussion tonight was, was, was going to be a very vibrant discussion. And I think you'll agree with me that we had that. So let me say thank you to you for, for joining me every Wednesday night for this weekend interview. And, um, Let's do this again next Wednesday. Have a nice weekend, and uh, we will do another episode of this weekend interview. Thank you to our producer and engineer Sam, especially for indulging me with extra uh, 50 minutes or so that that, that it took to to get the discussion to uh, to be a fully rounded discussion. And to you, the audience of this weekend interview, I will see you next week and um, take care. <music>